Welcome to another edition of Thinking Like a Lawyer. I'm Joe Patrice from Above the Law. I'm joined by Catherine Rubino and Chris Williams. How's everybody doing? I'm good. Does does me interrupting you in the intro not bother you anymore? I am pretending it didn't exist. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'll probably edit it out. I'll just like, <laughs> cut off your mic. Interesting. Yeah. Starting the week off right. Yeah. I mean, listen, you, you got to be on brands at all times. Speaking of being Speaking on brand at all times, yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the small talk portion of our conversation. You're the fucking worst. <laughs> I mean, come on. So yeah, uh, how's everybody doing? I mean, I don't know. I'm I'm very cold. It's February. I'm over it. I'm ready for spring. Okay. It's something like 35 days or something in that neighborhood before the sun doesn't set until 7 p.m. again, and. And that's where I that's where I need to be. Well, depending on what the groundhogs tell you. <laughs> that's why I said the sunset, not just right. like an arbitrary spring. And I believe that Punxsutawney Phil said six more weeks of winter. So that sounds about right. Screw this, that little. Uh, pre or post death, Punxsutawney? No, this that's a different one who died. Okay. That 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 was a that was a non canonical groundhog. <laughs> uh, okay. A Protestant uh, a Protestant hog. <laughs> a heretic. A heretic <laughs> hog. That in fact that was the hog that Bill De Blasio dropped way oh. back in the day. Remember when he like tried to get one and it squirmed out and it dropped? That is the one that ultimately left the New York Central Park Zoo or whatever, moved to Jersey and died recently. Why so, do you know you this? Know- it Thank lived you. a life. Thank you. It How, lived a life. What life do you <laughs> lead where you know that off the top? It's it's like the news, the, the, the articles about it dying, which like you all knew about one dying. I just read the article where they died and it, it made that uh, connection and pointed it out. To be clear, did I you did you write not. the article? I didn't know. I mean, I, I just, that's not really my beat. Um, <laughs> the, <laughs> That implies that there's somebody who's just tracking semi-famous animals whose only job is to write about animals you might have heard of before. Steve Steve from accounting. He has a very interesting uh, life. Rodent obits. He is survived by (laughs) so many. Um, Related by marriage to Punxsutawney. I, I mean, I'm not sure. Well, I, I also don't really believe that groundhogs get married. I, I don't think that they, um, I don't, oh. I don't, I don't think that they have, they, they don't have any such traditions. Mm. And I think that us implying that they do is really overwriting groundhog culture. In a that's fair. They, I think their only tradition is this uh, meteorology thing. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. That's organic. Yeah, <laughs> you got to start somewhere, man. Yeah. <laughs> So, Chris, how was your weekend? It was a it was a nice weekend. I, I reconnected with a friend I haven't sp- spoken to in about twelve years. Um, oh. a friend friend I met through RuneScape. We used to uh, this is before the evolution of combat. We used to uh, fight next together. I know that was all Spanish, or actually, I think next is Latin for death. So I know that's all Latin, but it was it was nice to it was nice <laughs> to reconnect, and I got a lot of experience in fletching. So RuneScape, old school RuneScape, forever. Yeah, nice. That sounds like you had a good time. I didn't oh, understand it. Was it. it was good. Like you had there you go. <laughs> it was very good. Nerded out very heavily. I did eat. The diet consisted of cheese and Girl Scout cookies, but I had calories. You know, I mean, 
I love, okay, what's your favorite Girl Scout cookie? So they have a new one that's actually kind of fire. I don't know the name of it, but it's it's like a, um, it looks like it has like a, a caramel chunk in the middle of it. And it's like, um, looks like some of the cookie from the Thin Mint around it with a little chocolate drizzle on top. It was really nice, but Thin Mints are hard to beat. I mean, they're, they're a classic they're, for a reason. They're a classic for a reason. And the peanut butter ones are nice. Also- The tagalongs or the or the cho- uh, the peanut butter sandwich cookies? The peanut butter ones that had the, uh, it's like peanut butter and then they're covered in chocolate. Those are the tagalongs. I, the tagalongs. Those are also really good. You get like three of them in a box, but worth it every mm-hmm. time. Also respect to you for knowing them by name. Well, I mean, I was, well, maybe not obvious to you, but very obviously to, to me, I was a Girl Scout for a lot of years. And okay. now my nieces are Girl Scouts. And so um, I have a direct line to boxes of, of cookies. That's cool. I've been looking for um, a, a cookie plug. So if I run low, I'll be sure to hit you up. <laughs> you I mean, got it. <laughs> I mean, trefoils are the best ones. You are the most boring person I've ever met. <laughs> for, for the uninitiated, those are just the shortbread cookies. Yeah. They're plain they're plain. Very good. You also like vanilla To be fair, a couple months ago, this guy was trying to make eggnog in a pressure cooker with eggs <laughs> that were cooking for like two weeks. So uh, I haven't it, forgotten that. I still it, lose sleep at night. It, it, it still like <laughs> occupies space in your brain. It was, yeah, yeah. A, it was an immersion cooker in order to pasteurize the eggs. That doesn't make it better, that, Joe. Yeah, I mean, it, <laughs> it, was an, it, was, it was an artisan foie gras cultivator. I don't care. Why it, you just it buy good. the eggnog? <laughs> You oh, know, grocery so stores sell it now. Yeah, with rum in it. Yeah. Ooh. Well, I mean, there was there was plenty of that in what I made too. Anyway, I think we're good. Is everybody uh, without any further objection? Uh, can, can you? I'm sorry if you had anything else that it has now ended. Uh, small talk. You're the worst. Yeah. You are the worst. I don't know as though that's true, but you know who might be the worst? The Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals. They're not great. How's that as a transition? All right. Uh, What's going on with the Fifth Circuit? You know, we complain about the Supreme Court a lot around here, but the Fifth Circuit is a special kind. It is is the worst of the circuits. I think that that is pretty, pretty clear. And as... Many people are aware we're still in the middle of the coronavirus pandemic, so good for us. But there was a... (laughs) We've kept it going for so long, you guys. Look what we did. But there was an argument in the Fifth Circuit, and one of the attorneys for the United States, uh, Joshua Koppel, had asked to uh, appear at the oral argument remotely because he has two young children and, you know, again, pandemic, and his children are cannot be vaccinated as of yet. Most That was denied. So he appeared, he traveled to New Orleans to uh, for the argument and in front of the Fifth Circuit panel of Jerry Smith, Jennifer Elrod and Andy Oldham, they he appeared at the lectern to give his argument and Judge Smith asked him to remove his mask. Uh, he said, I-, I prefer to leave it on if we would prefer that you remove it. Thank you. Pardon? We would prefer that you remove it. Yeah. Yeah. That is happens. the Fifth Circuit in Florida? No, this the, is a this New is, of Orleans. course, Texas and Louisiana. Uh, yeah. This this hearing is like a spiritual, spiritual Florida thing. <laughs> in their heart, they're Florida men. But what what is particularly interesting is that New Orleans has an indoor mask mandate mm-hmm. uh, in effect. All according to their mandate, uh, all indoor spaces except while actively eating or drinking 
no, no, no word about oral arguments, obviously there. Also, you know, there's audio of the hearing and you can listen to it. Uh, I embedded it in the story as well. And it is perfectly clear. It's not like some sort of a mumbled, somebody can't understand what's happening situation. The masked individual is as clear as the unmasked judges. And this is just uh, an, an instance where the judges wanted to assert their own authority and anti-mask worldview. And it is pretty reprehensible, all things being equal, in my mind. Yeah. It was a little impressive. I did not expect that kind of aggressive science denial fun from anybody, but I guess if I did, it would be the Fifth Circuit. Certainly, if this was going to happen in a federal circuit court, it was going to be the Fifth Circuit. Yeah. I think that is undisputed. Still surprising that it happened in a federal circuit court, to my mind. In violation of local local laws. Now, I mean, I know the federal courts can make the argument that they are immune on their property Certainly. from the state laws, but yeah. still. Yes, you would still think that federalism would demand that you at least, you know, care. What. Va- vaguely, vaguely try to follow what, what's going on around you. Yeah, no, it's, it's problematic. Uh, it is another indicator that we've, we've crossed into just performative awfulness. Uh, this, uh, of course, is a follow-on to our conversation about Neil Gorsuch refusing to wear a mask despite mm-hmm. the fact that everyone else uh, has been told to. So I guess I'm at the point where I'm like, well, at least Neil Gorsuch doesn't demand that other people take off (laughs) their masks. So he's not in charge yet. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's that line that John Roberts gets to have over him, I guess. But what I, what I will say is I appreciate the spillover because for the longest time, so much of lesser evil discourse has been concerned with uh, presidential candidates, but now we can say Mm -hmm. that about judges and the circuits. (laughs) Like, hey, they might have some horrible uh, jurisprudence concerning natives, but hey, they wear masks. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, you know, I'll I'll say uh, the addendum to this story, of course, and unfortunately, I don't have the exact tweet in front of me. I'm not. it wasn't a tweet, but it was covered in a tweet. But the addendum to this story is immediately after this becomes a newsworthy. I believe the very next day, the Fifth Circuit had another hearing, different panel. Yeah. Oh, you do have it. I do. I do. Beth Walensky covered it on on Twitter. And uh, Rafi Malokin put the, when Judge Willett was on a different panel, basically subtweeting his colleagues said, you can remove or keep your mask on at the podium. It's totally your call. Yeah. Which the, the phrase subtweeting is critical because Judge Don Willett, for those who are relatively new to this space, before being elevated to the Fifth Circuit, he was a Texas state judge who was heavily active on Twitter. He was like a power tweeter. And it was actually fun and interesting. Like he, you know, a conservative judge, but a very engaging personality. He was a lot of fun to follow. As part of being elevated to the Fifth Circuit, he agreed to no longer tweet, but he still gets the culture. And <laughs> he still gets, that was a brutal subtweet. <laughs> he, he, still, he still gets what's going on. Wait, he had to give up tweeting to mm-hmm. be on the circuit? I mean, the president doesn't, but that's what I'm right. saying. Like, what? <laughs> it must be. A, it must be a branch. Well, thing. he's actually just better at his job, right? Than, and in uh, fairness, I don't know as though there was a formal discussion about this mm-hmm. as much as it was a. There were deep concerns about a federal judge tweeting as much as he did, and he was like, "Yeah, that's not a problem. I can stop doing that." So, 
He probably has an amazing burner account. It's just like <laughs> somewhere not, up there. Not tweet Some judge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's what's going on at the Fifth Circuit, which is super exciting and great for democracy and everything, you know. Not yeah. to, I guess it doesn't really impact democracy because it's a life tenured court, but it's great for, you know, a society in collapse. Yeah, I mean, we, we very clearly live in a hellscape. Mm-hmm. So, you know. So on that exciting news, who is going to answer the call to fix this problem? Who will answer the call? Yeah. Well, if you're interested in having other people answer your calls. Right. Oh, I saw, I saw what you were cooking there. Yeah. You're welcome. Well, let's hear from, from our sponsors, <laughs> Posh. I hate having to do this, but at the risk of continuing to engage in a discourse that should have, by all rights, ended two weeks ago, I guess we should talk about Joe Rogan. <gasps> yeah, I guess we should. Yeah, look, and so the Joe Rogan thing- Do we thing have to be in, on shrooms for this? <laughs> I, I, you know, uh, let's, let's talk about whether or not the Mayans had, uh, were visited by ancient aliens or whatever- he says in between interviewing Proud Boys. But the point is, you know, the Rogan stuff is a little outside of our purview as a legal matter generally, whether or not, whether he's spreading misinformation or interviewing aggressive racists and not worrying about it at all. Uh, Those are bad things, but not necessarily where a legal show would pop in. Where a legal show does pop in, and I wanted to talk about is, my pet peeve of the whole discourse has been people arguing that Neil Young and similarly minded folks pulling their music from Spotify are engaged in censorship of Joe Rogan's free speech rights. That is not true because they Neil Young, while an excellent artist, is not, in fact, the U.S. federal government. No, no. Nor a state government. Not yet. But once they take our guns. <laughs> then we'll live in the United States of Neil Young. He, I mean, he's Canadian, so I don't even know as though it gets to that. So was Obama. <laughs> no, 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 no. Obama was. Ted Cruz was, <laughs> continues to be. But uh, yeah, Still so is. he's not the U.S. federal government, nor any of these artists. There is no free speech right that compels you to give your labor to a company you disagree with. Uh, this feels you, like a tea, a tea show, you know. It's you spec, it Neil is, Young is not it, the United States federal government. Yeah, no, <laughs> one true, but but this is the this is the whole problem with this discourse. And what bugs me about it is I do have to constantly give a civics lesson to people who write us emails complaining about the censorship and how I'm not worried enough about the First Amendment and I have to explain the First Amendment has nothing to do with any of this. But what's really terrifying, and I have talked about this in the past with regard to other quote-unquote free speech issues, but the real problem going on is there's been a subtle but deliberate shift in how people talk about speech in this country from you can't have the awesome power of the government pick sides to it is a virtue in and of itself for you to sit quietly and listen to unpopular speech. That is not a value that has ever been endorsed or celebrated. When people say awful things, your job is to tell them they said awful things, not to sit there and take it. But the virtue, according to these folks, is that you accept 
bad opinions, not that you don't let the federal government stop people from expressing bad opinions. And that subtle shift is in full display in this entire discussion. The fact that I get deluged by emails from people who seem to think the First Amendment has anything to do with this is a sign of the breakdown of civic education. And and that's where we come in, because as lawyers, this is what we have to tell people, you know, like, no, this doesn't apply. Yeah, people's uh, misunderstanding of the First Amendment is shocking because people talk about the First Amendment so often. Right. It, it, well, and I'll I'll go even further because first of all, first of all, First Amendment doesn't apply. Done. But secondly, sometimes people will go that extra bit and say, well, even if it's not a First Amendment legal thing, isn't it a problem with free speech? And I'm like, no, because free speech isn't about just being, as I put it, a passive bullshit receptacle. You don't have to listen to people say right. bad things, and you certainly don't have to give your labor to them to allow them to do that, which is really the issue because all Neil Young's doing is saying, the stuff that I made, you don't get to sell. That's how free markets work, last I heard. That is, a, that is something I find weird about it because it's because I do think that there is a there is there should be some fundamental tension between how right leaning people are talking about this amorphous freedom and what they should be supporting as far as like the right to contract. Like the right to contract yeah. isn't constitutionally backed up anymore like it used to be, but it's still something yeah. that was, they're like, hey, we get to we get to deal with who we want. But then they're like, hey, you have to listen to us now. Like, no, no, especially yeah. where money is concerned. Like, because 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 we are at a point where. Money is speech. It's considered speech. There's right. Um, jurisprudence yeah. considering that, and it's like if I don't want to contribute my money there, even if you're not buying the right to uh, whatever my speech is, you should at least respect my right to contract with who I choose to. And yeah. they're like, which is why, like, I don't, I'm surprised that there's not a contract angle with the uh, Georgetown discussion. Um, yeah, in Shapiro, that kind of just went out of the discourse. Yeah, it, for for a legal movement that is trying to bring back the Lochner era, it is weird how much they <laughs> yeah. hate the idea of contracting. Well, yeah. I mean, part of it's also because there's no uh, ideological consistency here. Uh, that's not true. Whoa, there is an whoa, ideological. Whoa, whoa, wait, wait, wait. There's. Are you suggesting these people act in bad faith? I actually fully support the use of the soundboard in that particular instance. Uh, I wanted to be clear. I was about to be like, you know what? Catherine is right. That was too much. <laughs> that was perfect though. It maybe, was like- maybe we can, maybe we can meet somewhere in the middle and we can all agree that I'm right. <laughs> <laughs> but no, the only ideology is whatever they, if somebody attacks the right, then, then they are wrong. And there's no other binding theory, legal theory that atta- that attaches all of these various positions that the far right currently has. It is just, we are right. Everyone else is wrong. And we are going to scream about it until you basically submit. Which... Maybe some Carl Schmidt would help. Ooh. <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I guess with the with, with the invocation of Carl Schmidt, we come to the conclusion of a conversation about interviewing Nazis. <laughs> it comes full circle. Well, well done. Yeah, no, that, that really did get us all the way back. Listen, uh, I do what I can. Anywho, so that's what's going on. Hey, listen, everybody, tell people in your lives this isn't what free speech means. Free speech means something. It's not, not that, that everybody has to respect everybody else's opinion. Right. And we 
don't really respect his. Anyway, so we'll move to a final conversation, which is, I think, an important one, an impressing one for all of you who are currently working as lawyers. Uh, Millbank, as we discussed, raised associate salaries. Several firms have followed that. But not as many as you would have thought. Yeah. Yeah. And there's some big holdouts. And it's making you wonder, are are, are people willing to lowball their own associates? Are they looking to come up with something bigger? Is everybody just afraid to move? Yes. Uh, I I think that there is a lot of fear in, uh, listen, big law is little c conservative, especially fiscally, right? And it often takes a lot for them to make big financial moves. Millbank coming out, raising salaries, forcing the rest of the market to kind of respond. We haven't heard yet, though, from Cravath or Davis Polk, which are the other two large pieces. You know, if there's kind of a, a... triumvirate of big law salary movers. It's Millbank, Cravath, and DPW. Uh, and it, the the whatever the trio of them eventually settle on is what the overall market, at least at the very tippy top of big law, will fundamentally settle on. But with two of those pieces still not making any moves, it makes you wonder what is going on. It's not surprising that other folks have not come out with their salaries because they're waiting to see what those other two big players do. It is taken. It has taken longer than you would expect for those other two players to kind of do something. And both of them have historically come over the top, at least in some ways, meaning for some classes, maybe not across the board for every class, but they have historically come over the top of whatever numbers Millbank has put out there. Maybe that's what's in the offing. offing. Maybe they're waiting to see exactly how much bigger their numbers are going to get. Unclear, but we're kind of in a wait and see what is going on. Big question mark moment right now. And, you know, even some firms, uh, I think uh, Morgan Lewis told their associates on Friday that they are aware of what's happening. Uh, They will at least get a true up payment in April to to these numbers, but they are not convinced that these are the end of the numbers. And rather than make multiple announcements, what they announced is that we will make you right by the end of the year, or at least by mid-year. And we're going to wait and see until then, but don't freak out. We'll make you whole. I actually found more interesting the Norton Rose announcement, which was similar because Norton Rose had said, we're aware of what's going on. We aren't going to do anything now, but we'll do whatever the market eventually decides, which, you know, whatever. But then a week later, they just went ahead and matched Millbank, almost as though they had come to the conclusion that they didn't have to wait on anybody. I, I really... uh, or perhaps they were getting enough agitation from their ranks right. that it wasn't, even if they have to make a, a second announcement, it's may, maybe worth it to kind of soothe fears. And uh, the distinction also, I think, in the, mil, in the uh, sorry, um, uh, Morgan Lewis announcement to the Norton Rose announcement is that they've committed to making a bonus payment that will consist of that true up amount. So right. it's not like, oh, well, we missed three months of salary at this higher rate. Whatever they decide, whenever they decide it, they will make they have committed to those payments, which I think will go a little bit further in in soothing nervous associates. Yeah, it, it's going to be interesting. And obviously, Outside of the purview of law, there's a lot of talk about inflation. And, you know, this is part of it. You know, inflation as a general matter is considered bad, but it, you know, 
some measure, I, I once heard a Nobel Prize winning economist describe inflation as the alcohol that people bring to the punch bowl. And <laughs> he was like, because nobody wants there to be no alcohol in the punch bowl. But if you get too much alcohol in the punch bowl, that's you're going to really have bad a bad too. time. Uh, and he argued that, like, look, you shouldn't be aggressively anti inflation, but you, you need to be very worried about things getting out of hand. Uh, and that puts us in where we are now. And I think there may be some concern on the part of some of these firms that if they engage in raising salaries all that much, it's going to contribute to that, which I think is a little ridiculous to the extent that this conversation is not, you know, impacting how much the partners feel they can take home in profits, uh, which is also part of inflation. (laughs) So it's a little disingenuous to go that route, but that's where we are. I'm sure in time that if you're working at a big enough firm, you're going to be making at least as much money as the Millbank raises. Yeah, I think that's I think that's true. And yeah, I, I just don't understand why big players aren't doing something. Uh, it's starting to look conspicuous uh, that they have taken no stance one way or the other. Yeah, but, but well, they will eventually. And when they do, Above the Law will be there to report it for you. No, oh, there you go. Good plug, 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 plug. Yeah, plug. Yeah, yeah. See, it was also organic and natural. See how sometimes you can make those plugs and just, you know, make them feel like they're normal. And I actually remember. I'm aware. I'm really good at that. Oh, um, what's the name of that podcast that you're on? <laughs> Finding out that not all your plugs are as. What? You don't always remember the name of the podcast that you. Go- Thinking like a lawyer. No. De- <laughs> Fight. All right. All right, this is over. <laughs> yeah. So with that, uh, I do think that we're pretty much over. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. You should be subscribed to the show. That way you don't miss any episodes. You should be giving it reviews, stars, writing something. The act of just writing anything shows engagement. That helps people find the show. Uh, you should be reading about the law. That way you see these stories before they hit the podcast summary. You should be listening to the Jabot, which Catherine hosts. You should listen to Legal Tech Week's Journalist Roundtable, which I'm a panelist on every week if you're interested in the legal tech stuff. Uh, You should check out the Legal Talk Network's other panoply of shows, uh, which sometimes involve us. Uh, I've you know, I, I've been guests on them. I've guest hosted them, but we're not there every week. But, you know, check those out. You should be following us on social media. I'm at Joseph Patrice. She's at Catherine One, the numeral one. He's at Rights for Rent. You should be checking out Posh, our new sponsor. And I think that now brings us to peace. Everything. Yeah. All right. See you next week. Bye. Bye.